we had my mother-in-law here. She's a baker. So we had all, all like these like amazing binge bars and all this kind of cheat treats and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I, I can't. I said, I said to my wife, sorry, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta stop. Like we just can't anymore. She's, she's over to help with the, uh, with the baby. We have a 17 month old. Wow. Oh my God. So you're just emerging into parenting. Is this your first? Yes, it is. Wow. Well, congratulations. Baby is really, really cute and lovely. And Lenya's going to make her a power lifter. So yeah, she keeps coming into my gym. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so hard. You know, I just offended like people I really like, but they have, they have twins and they came over into the backyard and they're friends of friends. And I, you know, everybody's holding the baby, but I don't like babies. And so I basically announced to everybody, I don't like babies. And these, this couple, these poor women who I do like admire and, and want to be friends with, I think they were so offended. They couldn't wait to get out of my yard. But I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I'm not in, I'm not that person who's going to hold your baby. I'm not going to make goo goo noises at the baby. I don't want to smell the baby. I've never changed a diaper and I'm really proud of that. I completely understand. I, I've always loved kids. I've always grew up, come from a big brown family. I like to say that. So, I mean, yeah, there's always kids running around and stuff. You know, everyone, everyone becomes an uncle. Everyone becomes an aunt at some point. So it's, it's, we have that dynamic involved, but I can completely understand. I some of my best friends are, are, are don't, they don't have kids. And it's, it's almost like, oh, look at the baby. Oh. Happy for you guys, you know, happy for you guys. It's just not for me. Yeah. And you always meet that people, you always meet those kind of people when it comes to dogs also. I mean, I know you guys were talking about dogs in last week's episode and, you know, you'd be walking down the street and here comes a dog, like trying to say hi or, you know, something, you have a really friendly dog. Um, my dog is very curious and wants to come up and say hi and is very playful. And so you're like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't get her next to me. I, you know, it freaks them out. So to each their own. We have to. No, absolutely. Well, it's you see that. I mean, I do like children who are older, you know, even once they're four, like once they're four and are people like, you know, and they wipe their own butts. Like I'm totally down like to to have conversations. And I kind of I miss most of my friends didn't have kids. And so I kind of sometimes I wish there had been more kids like around, you Mm -hmm. know, more in because I did grow up in a big. I couldn't, I wasn't going to say brown family, but an Italian American family. I mean, there were 10 cousins, you know, where a yeah. lot of activity and I missed that. Well, wait, let's actually back up, back up, yes. back up. Do so you call it your JC? Although you have the love, Giancarlo is such a good name. Why don't you just walk around? I did for a long time. Uh, and I still do professionally. I think what ended up, well, what ended up happening was when I was in high school, my baseball coach, I played baseball through high school and my baseball coach thought my name was John Carlo. And he's, I'm not going to yell out John Carlo every single time I got to yell at you. And he yelled at me a lot. And so it just became, Hey, JC. And then, so all my friends on the team were calling me JC. And then eventually my teachers were calling me JC and my family started calling me JC. So I just stuck with JC. Wow. And I so, did wonder about, yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is spelled like with it. a G and it's a little C, but it's, yeah, it's, it's JC. It's weird. I know. <laughs> so you said, okay, so it feels since we're on a show, that really is talking about like women in race. How'd you yes. get into watching the show as a, do you, I am assuming your pronoun is he, him? 
I, I'm definitely he, him. I, I, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I always get fascinated with conversations about race and culture and ethnicity, just because they are so fluid in, especially in this country. I always, I have, every time that conversation comes up, I always say to people, take a look at your soccer team. If you want to know where race stands in your country, take a look at your soccer team. Wow. Because there's, there's an indication of the world's game is how each country represents their world, their people on the pitch, on the field. And if you look at France, very diverse. You look at England, very diverse. You look at the US, very diverse. Take a look at Spain. Hmm. Take a look at Italy. Interesting. You have an understanding. And the other thing I love about it is that as an American, and I, and I do business overseas, and I used to travel to China three, four, five times a year, India once a year, Europe twice a year. You become proud of being American. And, but at the same time, you also understand there is that subtlety where maybe not so proud, maybe not yet to kind of hide a little bit under, under that Dodger cap sometimes with, with, with the news well, of the day. I would just be embarrassed that you're wearing a Dodger's cap. I had, to throw, I had to throw that out there. I had to throw that out there. I'm one of the few people born and raised in LA, a city of 13 million people, whatever we have. And I am born and raised. I love all my teams here. Oh, no, I totally get it. I mean, how I teach and half my students are wearing Dodgers caps. They have things in the background, Lakers, everything. So I just always have to go like this and hope. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, but so do, um, wait, wait, wait. Do you wear your doctor's cap when you're like in Europe? Yeah. All right. Lenya is also one fashion and yeah. two. <laughs> I'm more of a fashion. I'm more like. I know. I know. You know what's great is I think that there are two, there are two or three teams, logos that represent the U.S. Yeah. Perfectly. And obviously one is the New York Yankee logo. Yeah that you're wearing that logo and it doesn't matter if you're a fan, it doesn't matter where you're from, everyone knows what you're wearing. You could be in downtown Beijing and someone's wearing a Yankee hat and they've never been in New York, but they, you know. They know. But they know, right? So for me, with the little, yeah, a little bit of an inferiority complex to New York with being from LA, you know, got to represent that LA hat. And, and, you know, when you wear LA, people, you know, Hollywood, Lakers, same thing. I could wear a Laker hat and, you know, oh, Lakers, LeBron, Kobe, Magic. You know, it's, it's Shaq. It's, it's one of those things where the world knows those, in my opinion, those three logos. No, absolutely. I think that's true. I mean, I'm not a sports person, but I do understand that sports can work this connection. It's funny when you're talking about soccer, I was thinking about as a like Gen Xer, Soccer in the late 70s, early 80s in my very diverse neighborhood, I have to say, was considered a rich kid sport. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it was like lacrosse inside. So it didn't, it wasn't football like mm -hmm. what everybody plays everywhere. Because what's amazing to me, even when I go and work in Malawi, like football is everywhere. There's people mm -hmm. playing soccer everywhere. And so it's such a sport of the people. But growing yeah. up in the late 70s, I just thought it was like the same as lacrosse, a bougie boarding school sport. So it was, it's interesting how my perception has changed. I mean, that was my own ignorance as a child, but also how it was kind of marketed in the 70s and 80s to, to elementary school kids, junior high school kids, whatever. I think here we have football, 
And it's the same in Australia where they have football and rugby. So mm-hmm. soccer is, is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Australia, if you say that you're playing football, you might get asked soccer which, or football because it's Aussie right. rules football. And then some right. people actually think rugby. So it, it is this because there's other, there's other ball sports. Right. You know, that, and that's what I think the difference is between America and um, America, Australia and the rest of the world. You're, you're at the rest of the world called the football for us. We call it soccer. And I think for in many countries, they call it soccer, especially for those countries that have got other football balls that they play on a consistent level, on a consistent basis, excuse me. But to your point, Alex, there's nothing wrong with your perception of the sport. It is a pay-to-play sport, or it was a pay-to-play sport, so that the rich kids had the opportunity of getting the best coaches. And it's not, and, and again, to your point, it's not, let's pick up a basketball and go to the park, because that you can do on your own. And that is the culture that existed in this country for a long time. And like I said, I bring up just the soccer analogy, just because you could see the diversity and even, even through that, through that micro, through that sphere of which it, it is still a pay to play sport. You could still see the men's national team in the U S although not very good, getting better is still so diverse. That's fantastic. Latin American, white, black, Asian. And so it's Asian American. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty dynamic. And I think that's, that's, that's. That's why the race, going back to the original question, that's why, you know, from a racial perspective, that's why I enjoy listening to what people have to say and regular people, not, I don't know, someone on CNN that I'll never have anything in common with. And I'm just listening to their dissertation on Lenya's my neighbor and, and the fact that you know, she's a real person and just to get her take on, uh, and your take, Alex, on how you view race through your spectrum is, is pretty, for me, entertaining. Oh, it's fantastic. So hi, everybody. Welcome to Women Bridging the Gap. We're here with Lenya's neighbor, JC, and he's been a fan. And we're just here basically shooting the shit today. The three of us about how we're feeling about the pandemic. I want to hear how everybody's doing. LA does have some of the lowest numbers in the country. So is that changing anything? And it feels like I was going to say two years, but we're really only a year since the uprising and since we were sort of promised everything would change. And so just let's all do a little check in. Like what, how are we, how are we doing? How so, are we doing? <laughs> yeah. So let's you see, I have so many day. questions, right? Because you said, first of all, you said like big brown family. And I want to ask the question, you know, Why'd you add Brown in there? What was, what did you want? What do you want the listeners to understand or picture from you adding that choice, that choice of word into listeners? I think for me is I've always identified whether you want to say Latino, whether you want to say Hispanic American, which is not a great term in our community anymore. Latinx is picking up stream, uh, picking up steam, excuse me, but a lot of us still don't like that term because we didn't grow up with it. Nay is kind of fun. I think we had a little bit of a... (laughs) A little bit of a twang there, which is kind of fun. But what's important for me, and the reason why I always say that, you know, I'm an uncle 18 times. Actually, I want to interject since we're there with teaching, right? And teaching writing, I'm always like, there's the more specific you are, the more universal it is. And so in coming up with these terms, it all seems marginalizing to come up with any of these terms. Because even when you say Latin American, that sort of has colonial colonial mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i'm latin as an italian you know mm-hmm. what i mean when you think of it so that's mm-hmm. not where that's colonialism 
So mm-hmm. really, wouldn't the the best thing to say is Central American, which is at least identifying the geographical region. So if I so if I were to say I'm Italian American, I'm pointing to a geographic region, and so. Mm-hmm. Well, Latin American doesn't really do that unless we're calling Central American Latin America, which we don't do anymore. So it just also feels like a misnomer and it feels like an opportunity to lump a lot of different people into one yeah. in one group. And does that and I'm just curious, does it give you power because it's a much larger group if you lump everybody together? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it? a little marginalizing that we're just saying, yeah, all you people, like we, everyone we, we from South that. America, everyone from Central America, you Latinos, Latinas, Latina, like I'm not and sure. Caribbean, and Caribbean. And Caribbean. And Caribbean. And, yeah. And, and some parts of Spain, because some people from Spain the, don't mind calling themselves Latin and as well. Yeah, but that gets complicated for me, quite frankly. When a Spanish American growing up with all the European American privileges comes here, when we really think about Spain as the colonizers of Central America and 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 and, and many countries in South America, that gets a little dicey to me because but if you're white, a brown Spanish person, not a white Spanish person, but they're brown. That just also gets weird to me. This is where it gets really complicated because are we going by skin color? Because there are a lot of really dark colored Italian people go to Sicily, you know, where people look really dark and have a lot of North African blood. Yeah. And yet they come over here and they're not considered because they have an Italian last name, they might look brown, but they're going to be considered white. And then, or they're going to come over with a, it just, this is where it gets really messy and where it gets messy. And this is what's interesting is everybody can identify however they want to identify. But in America, because we have admissions ish, like who gets admitted to what school, it might depend on your race. It either hurts you or helps you. Agnostic. It depends where you are in the country and where what the needs are. Like deciding what your identity is and then considering your socioeconomic class and what microaggressions you suffer every day. I almost feel like you need to sort of talk about all of that. But the average Spanish person is not experiencing like they're no different than an Italian American coming so in or, some way, or a French American coming over. Right. So in, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, and again, I think it just depends on, on, on your personal experience. Right. So I think there, there's a lot there, Alex, to, to try and digest there. How do you get yourself comfortable understanding the fact that your region of the world was colonized and you've taken on their last names and their languages? And well, their relig- but I'm going to even point to that's almost every single country in the world. Right. But but I'm saying like just including as a, England. I mean, let's just if we're going to be really straight about history. Right. Mm-hmm. And not right. And it's just about how far away it was in time. Right. right. I mean, England, England has been colonized by by the Roman Empire. Did, right. Right. OK. But, but the point the point in that is so we just had a census a few a, a few months back or the results of the census a few months back and, and supposedly the white population and I used air quotes dropped by I think five six percent or, or something like that which is the first time that it has quote unquote dropped in years right and or ever excuse me in this country 
And I think what this country does is it tries to put you in some sort of a box that you may or may not be comfortable in. And that's where each of us individually have to try and find our way within that box. So as I say that, and the reason why I bring it up that way is because to your earlier point, I think if we look at it very, very fundamentally, we're looking at a combination of culture and race being really mixed together here that becomes very, very sloppy. Yeah, absolutely. And it does, and it does, and it in some ways actually does us a disservice because, and I use this example with, with Lenya the other day, we're talking about this. I'll give you a great example. I'm Cuban American and Ecuadorian American. So my mother's from Ecuador, my father's from Cuba, two completely different cultures, right? Speak the same language, different accents, but two completely different cultures. And the great part about that is to try and, and just, you're a part of this melting pot, right? Just lots of different colors and flavors and music and just rhythms and just coming at you. And it's, it feels great to, to have been raised in that culture. The flip side of that is this weird place where from an immigration perspective, Cubans get treated, were treated differently than every other South of Mexico, South of Galveston population. Absolutely. Right. We had this preferred status, which is a little weird. You also had the situation in which we're brown. Sure. But we're not, my mother is more of you and Lenya, you've seen my mother. My mother actually has got skin tone very similar to Lenya, as a matter of fact. It's, it's much more mixed in with, you know, indigenous color. She's very short, very tiny, whereas my dad is tall and white, much whiter. And so you sit there, you go, okay, well, I am white, but I don't identify myself in any way whatsoever with the white experience of this country. And so that's where like the mix of, that's when, when you sit there and say that the white population has dropped by 5%, sure. And I think that's also just because people are self-identifying and they understand themselves a little bit more mm-hmm. than where they've been. Well, even because- that it's because in the end, white people, the privileged people, you know, so I'm talking about from the place of privilege that we never had to be aware of it, but white is a very all-encompassing term, right? Because when I think of when you say the white experience in this country, I'm like, well, wait a minute, what are we really talking? Because this country is also so large, the white experience is very different because the urban right. white experience is different than the white rural experience. Right. And then the white suburban experience is different from both of those experiences. And then as right. Lenya points out, there's religion and culture. A white Catholic experience is different than a white Protestant experience. A right. Southern European immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. So people whose families came in from the 1880s to the 1920s, like that white experience is going to be very different than the people who came over in the 1700s. So like white experience is also really lumped in there. It's just because of our privilege of white, we get we get um, blended in much faster. Yep. But the idea is, and if you read like... Jewish immigrant fiction, which really has done like the best. I mean, those are sort of the Starbucks. If you think about Philip Roth or you think about a book like The Chosen or even like A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which Lenny and I both loved as a kid. But the idea of the you really think about it is that the value also from the 20s until the 70s was you assimilate, right? You change your name to sound more American. 
you you don't keep your culture, you get rid of your culture. And it was really only in the 80s that I think this concept of, no, we can do we can have both. It's it's and then we started going into this in this movement towards cultural identity. So part of the reason that we can lump everything into this huge white culture is because like my grandparents all really were forced to assimilate. There were no choices. Like it was assimilate or just be completely ostracized. And so I am white. I mean, like, you know, I am culturally white. I do think that's sort of lazy. Do you know what I mean? When people Mm -hmm. say, oh, you're just a white girl. And I'm like, well, if I'm allowed to, if I have to see you, you know what I mean? Whoever you are, whoever the person is, and I'm going to look at your pronoun choice. I'm going to look at your skin color. I'm going to look at your ethnicity. I'm going to look at your socioeconomic background. And I'm going to look at just how you define yourself. Then why don't you give me the same benefit too? Does because that make sense? Do, I mean, like, we have to do that so quickly now. Yeah. <laughs> we but, you know, I'm sorry. We, we, you know, when, when, when looking at brown people and looking at black people, they do the same thing. So it's not yeah. just white people. I mean, yeah. you know, black people, all, all, all colors are not monoliths, right? So right. I think that we we do get really, you know, trapped into this uh, yeah. black people, brown people, white people, when when there's so many nuances, you know what I mean? I, 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 I'm i an Afro-Latina, right? Because yeah. like, I work and my right. mom's Puerto Rican and it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, compl- and, and, and that is a whole other situation because if you look at whenever you have to answer these things with race, it's black, non-Hispanic, Hispanic, non-black. So then that just discounts me completely. On, and then I just have to put other, right? Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to not acknowledge my mother for my father or my father for my mother, especially since I grew up mostly with my mother's side of the family. And I grew up mostly being Hispanic, but I do not look Hispanic. And most Hispanic people will know that I'm black and most black people know that I'm kind of not all black. So it's, I don't, you know, you fit in this like weird mold. It just becomes really weird to say black or brown or white to me. Yeah. Well, I love that. So, so JC with you, so, you know, you have, and I've been to both places of your parents, right? I've been to Cuba and I've been to Ecuador. I'd have to say Ecuador is one of my favorite places on the planet that I've ever visited. I spent about five weeks there, six weeks there, backpacking around. So, so I know a lot of the nature, but I, I absolutely, it's such a beautiful country and the food is so effing good, but okay. That's a whole different, not even going there. The it, food's really uh, underrated. No one ever talks about Ecuadorian food, but the food's actually really good. The food is actually really, really good. It, it is. It's, it's a small country. It just gets sort of ignored, you know, but it's, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's just such a wonderful place. And I'm glad, you know, it's nice that it is, hasn't become, and it is one of the best places for Americans to retire to if you like do Google searches, but it's like it on the down low. It's on the down low. Don't yeah, send us all there. But what I think is, so do you say to people, oh, like I'm Latin A, or do you say like I'm Cuban, I'm Cuban Ecuadorian American? So what was interesting, so as a late gen answer, so I was, I was born in 78. So and the reason why I bring that up is because I think different perspectives of Gen X and as the closer you are to millennials and the closer you are to just certain amounts of technology and, and self-identification uh, becomes important. But going to school in the mid, going to college in the mid nineties, late nineties, one of the questions that always come up like, oh, you know, where are you from? What's your ethnicity? So on and so forth. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Latino. 
you know, born and raised here in LA, but you know, Latin American. And they, and they would say, oh, are you Mexican? Mm. Because yeah. you're from Los Angeles. And if you are X, then you've got to be Y. Yeah. And that was always a point of frustration for me. And that also builds a little bit of tension just within the same cultures, within the same Absolutely. community. I, I, it's so funny that you say that. I had this wonderful uh, young man as a student. And I remember, I don't know how ethnicity came up, but it always comes up. I'm at a very diverse school. Race or ethnicity is always going to come up in conversation. And somebody said, and it might have been me, said, oh, Latino. And he's, no, I'm, you know, I'm Chicano. Like he was very much like, I am, I am identifying as Mexican. I want to be known as Mexican. I, that's, I want you to realize that that is my culture. And I think his family, interestingly enough, right? His family was here, I think, on LA ground before the United States. Like they were here back when it was Mexico, when it was Spain, you know. Mm-hmm. And and before it was the state. So I think it was very important to him for us to understand that he, almost he's indigenous, you know, in that sense to this land in and Southern California. And that, to that point, that's also one of the one of my frustrations with talking about a Latino vote or a Hispanic vote or how Democrats or Republicans or, or liberals or conservatives need to look at, you know, this particular demographic. Because the demographic is so diverse. And the Southwestern United States looks a whole lot different than the Southeastern United States. And which looks a whole lot different than the Northeastern United States. Yeah. And their life experiences in the neighborhoods that they grew up in, in the people that are influenced those neighborhoods is completely different. It's completely different. And yes, we are more Central American influence here in Southern California, Southern Arizona, into New Mexico and to Southern Texas. But you start heading over to Florida, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Miami. I mean, we're talking about Venezuelans. We're talking about Cubans. We're talking about Nicaraguans, which is Costa Ricans, which are completely different culturally than the Mexican, Salvadorian, Hondureños, Belizeans that are here. And then let's not talk about New York, in which we're talking about your Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Puerto Puerto Ricans, and their experience is much more black driven in many ways because of just their experience in their neighborhoods. So it's, it's, it's frustrating for me. It's frustrating for me. And I think it's also frustrating for me as well when, you know, especially when we talk about politics, because we all don't think the same. Yes. Yeah. We all don't think the same. We're not this homogenous group of people that say, okay, we all feel this way about this issue. All right. And with all due respect to the black community, when you look at someone, when you look at, you know, Pew Research and they say, you know, uh, Biden won the black vote 89% to 11% or whatever that number is, 88, you know, 84%, whatever that is. Okay. But, you know, he's losing ground with Hispanics and this and that and the other. Yeah, but take a look at why that happened and really take a look as to what it is that you are defining as such and who they are. It's going to be really, really hard for a Venezuelan to come up here and vote for socialized anything. Right. Anything. Okay. And that doesn't make them a racist. That doesn't make them a bad person. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them a, 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 a Republican or conservative, right. whatever way you want to make. And, it's, and, and in many ways, although it's, it's tougher and tougher sell with Cubans because the 
two of the three senators that are Cuban are Republicans with Rubio and Cruz. Mm. But, you know, it's still kind of the same thing. It's just, it's Cruz a hard sell. Just to know. He is. Sorry. No, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody yeah. votes from... Cruz has forgotten who he is. <laughs> well, I don't want to... not. Yeah, I don't want to go in there. Rubio, I, I, I was... Yeah, 2016 changed a lot of things, yes. surprisingly. And it's so crazy how much, how how little you thought you knew people around 2016. But then even on 2016, that was, and then as we emerged into 2020, this kind of correlation began happening that, okay, well, if you voted for X, that makes you Y. And it was a straight line. And I, and I grew a little frustrated with that because I know a lot of people that voted for X for different reasons that they didn't vote for Are we y. calling Trump X right now? Is that what we're doing? Sure. <laughs> okay, so Ari, I, I, I know what you're saying, JC. I know what you're saying. And as, as a black person, I have, I have real, I have, it's not that I have an issue, but I just have this. So if you voted for Trump, mm-hmm. you may not be a racist, but you're okay with racism. And so that for me says something. Well, right? I actually also agree with that in the sense that if you vote for if you voted for Trump, you you might like women, but you're still OK with misogyny. Like it's that yes. same. Right. It's a lot of these little and things. It's just that it's not right. important to them. But if it's not important to them, then the question is, why is your pocket more important than basic humanity for everybody? That's core. Because that, we just put cool. it in that in, in that place, you know what I mean. And so, mm-hmm. I know people who voted for Trump, and and you know, and I know that they're not bad people, right? Mm-hmm. But in my core heart, eventually, that person that we talked about in the "Can you be friends with a racist?" episode yeah. that I was like, I'm not sure because I like this person, right? I don't talk to you anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I win. I, I just win. I win. I, I win. I was it because I, it, there's all these things that would make me wonder, like there were other little conversations that would start to emerge about other things that let me know that they voted with their pocket and not with their conscience. This is why we always need to be careful with this, because here's the opposite example. I have tons of family members, right? Again, Italian Catholic, right? Roman Italian Catholic, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. New Jersey, et cetera. And Mm. the thing is, is that we're talking Catholic. So most of them don't think animals have souls and I'm generalizing, but animals don't have souls and that and that abortion is wrong no matter what. And so what's interesting, though, is most of until the Trump issue X, we call him X until until that issue. I have to say what's interesting is my family voted overwhelmingly Democrat. It didn't matter about the abortion issue because. They were labor Democrats and they were going to vote union and, you know, blue was union. And so they voted their pockets over their beliefs. And I was grateful for that. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think to to your point, Lenya, and and, and we had this conversation, we touched on this conversation several times in passing. I understand exactly how that correlation is made. And there's nothing wrong with making that correlation. It's it's just that I think also. And I think that this is one of the things when we talk about race, we have evolved so much so quickly that I think many of us who were ready for that involvement or many of us who wanted that involvement, even some of us are kind of left behind. Ooh, okay. We're doing this now. All right. All right. Okay. So yeah. I'm, so here's, here's an interesting dynamic, right? 
And this is just where we are in the world. The San Diego Chargers are now the Los Angeles Chargers. And they so are? I've got, yeah, exactly. Okay, right? thank you. The NFL, the NFL team. Okay. And so I, I have season tickets to, to watch them, go watch them play. All right. I went to the game on Sunday myself and, and my best friend, we went to the game on Sunday and it was, it was great. It was a great experience. The new stadium is beautiful. When you tell certain people and what's interesting on both ends of the spectrum that you went to an NFL game, both people hate it. Really? Yeah. You tell the conservative that you went to an NFL game after Colin Kaepernick after lift every voice and sing, because they're playing two national anthems. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because of this, because of that, I don't have any room in my life for the NFL. I'm done with the NFL. Come to some of my more liberal friends. After Kaepernick, after everything that's come out, there's no way I can support the NFL. So these, now these stadiums is full. The stadium was full. 80,000 people were full. So, you know, it isn't affecting the media, but, but the ends, you could still see that the same product is being affected. And so that's why I think it's interesting just because of how we approach the same issue, how we see the same issue through different lenses. doesn't make either one of them right or wrong. It just, it just, you just approach it and you go, okay, well, that's how I see things. And so therefore I'm not going to partake. And you still got both ends of the spectrum saying, I'm not going to partake because of Colin came up both times. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Do you, I have I I have a lot of feelings about this. I have a lot of feelings. I about have it. a lot of feelings about this. When when it was announced who the Super Bowl who the Super Bowl halftime performances were going to be, I had all a lot West, of West I, I had a lot of feelings about this. All West Coast All of those people, with the I guess with the exception of Kendrick, okay, are all known misogynist rapist with sexual um predator behavior and in performing for the nfl with how they treated colin and and how they you know how it took such backlash for them to just see certain things i mean up until what two years ago they still thought that black people um didn't get concussions in the same way as white people i mean like there's so many little things you know so i'm I'm on that liberal end of you know the nfl i don't know you know so but once i saw that once i saw that these were the performers that were going to be at the super bowl i was like fuck the nfl fuck it all the way to hell fuck them fuck everybody i never want to ever, ever, ever go to a football game, watch a football game, talk to anybody about football, they can fuck themselves. Because not only do they support racism, they support misogyny, rape, all, they just the worst. And so that's where I'm going with that. And and that's 100% fair. And that's 100% fair. I had this conversation with some friends during, during the Colin situation. And so... And I, and I took a dip, I don't want to say I took a different approach, but I took a little bit more centralized approach and I don't know if I'm right and I don't know if I'm wrong. Okay. But as I was stating earlier, I do a lot of business in China and my father's from a communist country. So Colin has every right to do what he did. Mm-hmm. 
had every right to do what he did. But that's where the gray area comes in, in which you work for someone who doesn't think that what you're doing is best for business. Now, does that make it right or wrong? We'll get to that in a second. When I go to China, I can't access Facebook. Not that I'm on Facebook, but I can't access Facebook. And it's a Google. I can't access Twitter. I can't access YouTube. I can't access Netflix, right? It's one of those things where that truly is what censorship, theoretically, what censorship is, right? That is censorship. When you can't say something for, for fear of, 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 of not only forgetting about being fired or, or, or canceled or any of that stuff, it's more about you're going you're gonna to lose your freedom. Like yeah. the government is literally not going to let you say that. Colin had that option. It's just that Colin, unfortunately, got blacklisted because he was bad for business. And that's what I think we look at it from a green perspective instead of looking at it from a black and white perspective. And so I took that look, censorship from this perspective that I know, that is the censorship. This censorship is a little bit different because he technically had the freedom to do or say whatever he wanted. He's not losing his life over it on from a legal perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, get I just that. think it's also a lot grayer. How we all define freedom is a little bit differently. So this is the, the thing I like to sort of say in class, right? Sure. Like here in, in the United States, we believe in this freedom, like you shouldn't wear a mask or that we have the freedom to say whatever we want. But we all lock up our houses. We all have ring nests on our doors, and we and and we're and we couldn't have a kid like well, lost well, in the streets, like something bad will happen. Not, not all, not all of us have ring on our doors, right? I don't have one either. Exactly. But you know what? I <laughs> put, we have locks on our doors. I don't have a ring. I thought you had a ring, JC. Oh no, I have one. I knew Alex didn't. So yeah, that's why I don't I'm have home. one. I, I mean, I'm like, if you're gonna steal shit, come in, steal shit. But yeah. it's, but the thing is. But I still have locks on my door and I still lock my car, my cheap little Honda Fit. I'm still like beep, beep, locking it like there's something to take. But what I find interesting and that kids, you know, they get lost. Oh, my God, they're going to die. And the thing is, but I can say anything I want. You know, in Tokyo, you can a kid could get lost on a subway at midnight and then nothing. They're not going to die. And people leave their doors open. And so mm -hmm. it's what's free. Do you know what I mean? Do we we're free sure. to do anything we want, but we all have to work like crazy. Like we all don't get free health care. Like it's a very stressful world, this free life we're all paying for. Well, freedom isn't free. And yeah. so in that same way, what when you talk about the football thing, what makes football more complicated, because you are definitely looking at it from a business point of view, saying, and I can and I can take your side. This is the lawyer of me, right? I can say, I totally get it. You know what? He's an entertainer. That's what he is. And the deal is you got to bring home the fans and you got to right. have people look at it. So if they don't like right. what you're doing and you're not good for sponsors, you're out. On the other hand, right, let's look at at sports generally and then celebrity and then it's not playing the game let's actually separate it out it's what happens before the game and sure. it involves saluting a flag which isn't part of the entertainment which is the game he should be allowed to 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 put forth his beliefs now 
I always like to give a hypothetical to say Lenin sitting here saying yes, and he has a right to do this. I understand what all of you guys are saying, but when he is coming off that field, he is still a black man that can be killed by the police at any given time. And mm -hmm. so sometimes that piece of being a black person has to come out. And all he was doing, all he right. was doing was shining a light on the fact that as a black man, when he leaves that stadium, he is, is subjected to everything else that the black people, the black community is subjected to. Because not everybody's going to look at him and know that he's Colin Kaepernick and that he's an NFL star. And you know what? That actually might be to his detriment if it's a white cop who has some kind of chip on his shoulder. I agree. I get that he may have been bad for business, and I get that he may have even had an internal struggle whether he wanted to even say what he wanted to say. Because think about it, he also understood it's his livelihood, but he also understands that this is his life. And so yeah, I agree. maybe for him, it was, I have to say something because if it's not me, then who is it going to be? And then we go back, you know, who is it going to be? I and have really, that's, that's what protest is, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. what's beautiful. I mean, Martin Luther King wrote a letter from Birmingham jail. He was in jail when he wrote that letter, you know, and it was civil disobedience and it was against an injunction. It was technically being told you didn't get the license to march here. So you can't march here. So he voluntarily chose to break that injunction and march. And so. Good trouble. Good. Tr yeah, it's yes. good trouble. And so is and what Colin what doing. It's good Colin trouble. Chose. That's what I think Colin chose. Good trouble. And I get what you're saying, JC, as a business standpoint. But at some point, as a as at some point, as a black and brown person, it get you 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 start to feel where like your silence makes you complicit. Right. And so and so that's why I completely and again, I completely supported his decision on making whatever decision he felt was right for him. Because to your point, before you're a football player, before you are, you know, entertaining for millions of people and you before you're making that paycheck, you are a black man living in America. Okay. Right. So and after you're doing all that, you are still going to be a black man living in America. And with the burdens that come with that. But at the same time, I also, when, when people started saying, well, this is first amendment, this is this, this is that they're taking away social liberties to, to, to do that. And I said, well, let's just pump the brakes here just a little bit, because there is a little bit of gray here that we're not acknowledging. And I wish the 49ers who are a football team were more supportive. Yeah. And I wish, especially in that market, that would have been yeah. so open to something. If something like this were to happen in, again, if something like this were to happen in Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. Something like this were to happen in Atlanta. Yeah. You got some maybe, okay, I get Atlanta, New Orleans even. Yeah. All right. But if something like this happens in San Francisco, in Seattle, that San Diego was told, in the, the Chargers sold in San Diego, um, Los Angeles. New York. You, you expect New York. You would expect that you would be able to be able to do that in these type of markets. And it was disappointing that he wasn't able to do so, but it was also, but it was, it was immediate. And I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of people like it or not, 
there comes a point that when you put your message out and this, this comes a lot with social media and, and I've heard you ladies speak about social media at length a little bit is that once you put something out there, it no longer belongs to you. Yep. And I think a lot of people have a hard time accepting that because I authored it, I did it, I posted it, therefore it's mine and this is how it's supposed to be. Once someone takes it back, once someone reads it and decides to say, no, this means this, which is what person X did when he decided to bring him up in, and by the way, I did not vote for person X. I keep calling him person X just because I think it's just funny because I don't want to even mention his name. But once person X decided to make a rally around it, then the message changed, mm-hmm. right? The message changed because then it's not what you thought. It's what other people are perceiving. And so that's also part that we are in a very slippery situation in which we have to atone for past sins, right? Whether we like it or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as, and, and Lenya, to your point, I grew up on Dre and Snoop and, and, and that whole death row family in the, in the early, in the mid nineties and Pac and and there's some stuff there. When you look back, some of that just doesn't hold up like it used to, mm-hmm. you know? And you like to think that you've evolved from that. But at the same time, when that hook from nothing I but know, a G came on, I go, oh, man, I just give me the barbecue or something. I know, I know. You know? So it's that really weird spot where I, I don't want to feel bad for who I am and what I've gone through and the involvement that I've been through. But at the same time, it's also hard not to feel ashamed over that. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. We did not. All right. We did not play Michael Jackson at our wedding. We, when Michael Jackson comes on, I press. I, I, I yeah, I just, oh, I still listen to Michael Jackson. I can't. Sorry. I will. I can't. But Lenya, remember, remember, we knew. Our, we well, knew about R. Leah. Kelly. Okay. But, but see, but all right. But Maybe we knew I, about Kelly because of Aaliyah. We knew about Aaliyah. We yep. knew about Aaliyah. When Aaliyah passed in yes, the late yes. we knew she had already been married to Arkell. This was not a shock. Yeah. But I also I also want to give the legal system a little bit like Michael Jackson was never convicted of anything. And I have to believe, you know, I mean, if we're gonna like believe in any system, it's innocent till proven guilty. It was OJ. Neither was OJ. Come on. Yeah, yeah I got, but I'm going to be honest with you as a defense attorney. I was sitting, I, when, when that verdict came down, I was at Mule Creek State Prison and like visiting some, a client. And I, I got to say, there was reasonable doubt in this case. Now, should there just be more people walking around because actually reasonable doubt was met? Yeah, there should be less people in prison because there sure. was reasonable doubt. That's, sure. But yeah, did OJ do it? Oh, <laughs> But but then but yeah, like I totally agree. But the idea is uh, actually OJ went and had a life after that acquittal. And then some people don't, there's no even, there's no legal system. There's no due process. And it's just, they get shouted out now. I mean, granted, like I have a hard time with Woody Allen. Do you know what I mean? Like I grapple as Woody, I'm a diehard Woody Allen fan. He's a little bit, it's a little bit dated. There are things that I don't watch because I roll my eyes. But, you know, you look at Hannah and her sisters or you look at Crimes and Misdemeanors. Those are two, some of the best films of all time. And I'm still going to watch those films. Like I, I, and I, and then 
if you were to say to me, well, what if he was tried in court and found guilty? You know, I don't know. Like, where do we separate art from the crime? And this gets me to my point of not being presentistic. So you shouldn't feel shame. None of us should feel shame. And we've talked about this before on the on the podcast. And Lenny and I sort of came up with the the concept of if you're growing, it's all good. Do you know? And and we should we should have more admiration for growth because otherwise the truth is I don't think we should be okay. So my elementary school in Maplewood, New Jersey was called Jefferson Elementary School. And they're changing the name. And I have to say, that's fucking ridiculous. It is it is not a microaggression to any five-year-old going into that school that that school is named after Jefferson. And the truth is, like, at the, and this is where we have to, I'm not saying we don't change how we talk about him in history classes. I'm not saying we don't have a more balanced conversation about what he gave, but he did write the Declaration of Independence and we are all living off that page. Everyone who stands in this country is. And so there has to be some element of understanding the person he was in his time and those limitations. Or that's where it's polarizing. Like we can't recognize that heroes are flawed and acting within the cultural norms of the time that they weren't superheroes. So basically everyone who isn't a superhero is bad. And, and but that's sometimes what it feels like. And I'm not saying that that's, yeah, but that's a really shitty place for our world to be in because then the self look, because when I look among my law students who are in their mid twenties, suffering from depression and anxiety more than any group I've ever seen, And I think a part of it is this mentality that if I have any flaw at all, I will not only maybe be canceled, but I will not be seen for any of my good things that I will be wiped off. And I I think that's sad. And I'm not talking about because now we know racism is wrong. Any rate, I'm not talking about. But whatever new thing is coming our way that we haven't yet completely evolved upon. I wonder, though, if this is such an American thing, because in other places in the world, they know their leaders are flawed and people aren't voting for them for perfection. And right. I think that, oh, I love part that. Of America, part of American belief is like, we have a fairytale belief and it sets us up for failure, not just even in the way we, we perceive our leaders, but in our relationships. You know, it, it's it's like this. It's this fairy tale that it must be perfect or it's or it's wrong. Do you know what I mean? And and nothing is perfect. And so when you then start to find out that nothing is perfect, then it, it's so hard. It's so hard to move on. Or if you get perfection, it's it, it may not actually be what you think it is. Right. Perfection can come across as like narcissism. It can come across as, you know, there's so many different things. And so I, I talk about this with my therapist about the fairy tale. Right. And I'm believing in the fairy tale and how the fairy tale is what is setting us up for failure or setting me up for failure. All of us. Specifically, all of us. And so when I. I see that we have to understand that our leaders are flawed. I mean, you know, like every, at, the, at the end of our last episode, I was like, I'm so disappointed in Biden. He's Biden, flawed, yeah. but he is still, you know, he, he's a person. 
He, he, he's a person and he is not going to be perfect. And when we start thinking that our leaders are going to be perfect, like this is the perfect thing with, this is exactly what happened with Obama. Everybody expected Obama to be this perfect 100% can never make a mistake individual because he was the first black president. And when he was, when, when he came across as the absolute human that he is, we then all decided, or not we, everyone, but a lot of people decided that, oh my God, you know, he's horrible or that, you know, it it was just this, it was, it was like, there's a a Madonna horse situation going on there that like, why can't people just be people? Well, it's also, why can't we understand? Like it's long range. It's also like Americans aren't long range thinkers. And so even that sense of understanding that there's growth and also even saying perfect, perfect to whom? You know, I mean, Obama was not a progressive. He was not. I was I mean, I voted for him twice. I was really happy with him generally as president. But, you know, he's not nearly as left as I am. Go Bernie. Do you know what I mean? Like we do not connect. But that didn't matter because in that point, in that time, I still would have voted for him over Bernie because there were other things that needed to be done first. and, And Barack Obama could deliver them. Like now, post Barack Obama, do I wish we had Bernie? Yeah, kind of do. But you <laughs> just need to need to think through the well, long I, range. So even talking about going back to Colin, yes, on his knee, you know, I think it's really important. Like Jay Z's point of saying, well, he's not going to lose his life. Like he might lose a part of his livelihood, and the fact that Americans like the long dip and then the comeback that we're kind of prone to that, that I don't, we've not seen the last of him. That's that's just the reality of it. But that we need, he did take that stand. It would just righteous stand. And having this conversation after is what Colin wanted. Do you know what I mean? Like to keep it alive and it was necessary and and that we're still talking about it. And that the end and, and that every point can be taken. This is, If you think about Supreme Court jurisprudence, everybody's always, oh, it's interpreting the Constitution. Well, sure, you know, and if we were Scalia, you know, it would be like the letter of the Constitution. But but what we really do is look about what kind of society we want to be, right? You know, and then and then pulling from such a glorious worded, broad constitution which of course yes doesn't mention women of course makes black people two-thirds of a person so i'm not saying it's a perfect document by any means but a beautifully broad enough document that could live i mean in jefferson and adams thought 50 to 150 years max this document would last i think that's part of the conversation that we were having is how about the nfl is how if we had Scalia on one side of the NFL and we had RGB on the other side of the NFL and how would they would view this same situation and how they would come to the same conclusion that this isn't for me. And what I find interesting about, again, what I find interesting about the conversation is just how even though you come to a complete, you come to a different, you're taking different roads to get to the same conclusion that this isn't for you. And, and I think that's also part of what this brand kind of experiment is all about. I mean, cause let's be honest, we, we are an experiment. This country is an experiment. It runs oh, absolutely. Way. the way we do things is, is a complete, some mix between democracy and federalism and all that 
let's not get into that. But, but this experiment has this way of just kind of showing us every so often, oh, wow, we need to make a left-hand turn somewhere. And, you know, I, I'm sure I wasn't around for this, but I'm sure in the 1960s, I'm sure MLK was not very well received by the masses. Mm. And it took some time for all of us to sit there and say, us, we meet again. It took some time for all of us to sit there and say, yes, not only was, was he great, he was a hero, he needs a day, we need to teach, we need this, we need that. And so we, we evolved as a country. I, and, and, and Alex, I'm sure you know, places of the East Coast, little pockets of the East Coast, and specifically of cities in the Northeast that are still really, really difficult for members of the Black community, you know, or... Or, or other communities. So it's, it's, I think, as long as, to your point, as long as we're continuing to try, I think that's, that speaks wonders. But the scary part to that is, to your point, these millennials or these Gen Yers or whatnot that are coming up, they live online. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a, rec- there's going to be a record of that somewhere forever. Right? Oh, that's terrifying. And that's terrible. Now, we should definitely end on that note. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to us today. We're a long, fun conversation. JC, you're amazing. I hope you come back on the show. And it was my pleasure. Find us online, find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, and maybe be on TikTok. <laughs>